0: We use multiple defense mechanisms. So we can utilize other types defenses, but we will never do them for any other reason than our core agenda. This is a show about self-discovery.
1: About understanding ourselves.
0: About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are.
1: This is about
2: how we relate to God
0: and everyone else
2: from Love That Neighborhood in Louisville,
1: Kentucky. Welcome, 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 to the (laughs) INEACast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're going to be talking about psychological defense mechanisms. And this is actually a continuation of what we started talking about in the last episode, which was identity and ego with our guest, Lisa Vischer. And today, Lisa is back to break down in-depth one of the defense structures of the ego known as psychological defense mechanisms.
2: That's right. In the last episode, we talked about identity and the three ways the ego defends itself.
1: Yeah. So if you haven't listened yet to that episode on identity and ego, you probably want to go back, listen to that first, because it lays the groundwork for everything that we're talking about now. So let's dive into the defense mechanisms of the Enneagram. And to do that, our friend Lisa Vischer is back in the studio with us. Hey, Lisa.
0: Hey, everybody. So good to be here.
1: We're so glad to have you back with us. I've really been enjoying the dive that we're doing Mm -hmm. into all the crazy ways that we build an identity, all the ways that that identity goes haywire and can turn (laughs) into this ego and the ways that we are trying to defend, you know, the the person that we wish that we were.
2: Mm -hmm. So, Lisa, can you first do a brief review of the defense structure of the ego and where the defense mechanism fits within that structure?
0: Yeah, sure. So the defense structure of the ego has these three components and it has this idealized sense of self that really becomes our self image. And the self image is what Jesse just said of this person that I, I wish I was and I'm trying to be. And it's an idealized sense of self. So there's a, a perfection component to it. Uh, and this is really trying to replace or or sit in the place of identity Uh, In our heart, but it's an image. It's an image of how we view ourselves. And it's a defense because it's a defense against the feeling of unworthiness um, and trying to create a sense of worthiness for love. So we have this idealized self image. uh, And then there's this thing that doesn't fit into that image that we feel like we need to avoid at all costs. And that is the core avoidance. The core avoidance uh, helps to protect that sense of self. The third defense is the defense mechanisms. And I know we're saying the word defense over and over again, but hang with us. This is the defensive structure, self-image, avoidance. And now we're gonna talk about these defense mechanisms. And it's really, really important for us to understand these because what's at stake is getting stuck and not growing. This defense mechanism is deployed to kind of glue the type structure together. Basically defense mechanisms um, they're things that we unconsciously kind of deploy to protect us from things we don't want to feel and that we don't want to experience. So what we need to understand about these is that they're habits and habits operate auto- automatically and unconsciously. And that means I'm not giving it my permission. It's just going. They become so habitual that it's really hard to notice them when they're happening.
1: Mm, that's good.
0: So these unconscious patterns are what create most of our problems, both personally and interpersonally. So these are things we want to be paying attention to because this defense mechanism, this one thing is the thing we have to disrupt if we want to grow because it's holding everything together. Mm. Like I may know some of the pieces of my personality or my, my type. I might know some of my coping habits, but I won't really be able to change them or grow or transform if this defense is being constantly employed to protect it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes me almost think of like a computer operating system. There's like so many things that run in the background Mm -hmm. and you're just using the computer, Mm -hmm. just trying to achieve your tasks, get your things done, but there's all these things running in the background. And sometimes those things are like detrimental to how it works. But also if you like delete it, the whole computer shuts down.
0: Right. That's a great analogy. One of these defense mechanisms is associated with each type structure as its primary defense. So it's kind of wired in to the architecture of this type structure. Think of it as the enforcer of the type structure, as Jesse said last time, the bouncer. I might start using that. I like that. It just jumps into action You know, whenever our sense of self is threatened or whenever our ways of doing things that prop up that sense of self gets challenged, jumps in as a defense. A threat can be external by somebody else, and it might be internal. If I have unacceptable feelings or impulses within myself, this will also spring into action.
1: So I guess let's just, I don't know, start making our way through these defense mechanisms and we'll kick things off, I guess, with the heart and head triads.
0: Yeah. So this defense structure, I'm going to be I'm going to just briefly reference all three of these components as we unpack the defense mechanisms because they tie together. So twos, the defense mechanism for twos is called suppression and twos use a suppression of personal needs and feelings to avoid the thing they're trying to avoid, to avoid being selfish and needy and maintain the self image of being a selfless, helpful person. So how does this work? So repression is putting your unacceptable feelings out of awareness and actually converting them into a more acceptable form of emotional energy. So if I'm a two, I might have some hurt or shame or particularly anger, something I don't want to feel those feel unacceptable emotions. I'm going to convert that into friendliness and cheerfulness, or I might convert it into compassion. So as a two, I'm still in this emotional center. They're not suppressing their emotions. They're setting them They're They're actually converting that energy into something more acceptable in their mind. So it really suppression is like this constantly turning away from myself and my feelings. Some people talk about it as like hiding information about myself from myself, my feelings, my desires, my wishes, and my hurts. So twos are, are the type that really tune into other people's feelings and they can't really turn it off for themselves. And that creates this problem because I'm super tuned into feelings and needs, but I can't look at my own. So what's the solution? The solution is I'll just sort of suppress and set it aside. And if you're a two, you might sort of sometimes notice yourself kind of, oh, well, that hurt, but not too much. Or I'm not, I'm really not that angry. It's just really not that big of a deal. It starts to look a little bit like that minimizing that goes on in the nine space, but it ends up getting converted into different emotional energy
1: hmm. I always talk about if a two is like on the beach and there's somebody one mile down that beach, mm-hmm. they naturally start going, I wonder what's going on with that person. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how they're doing. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's just hardwired into it, which is why the healthiest twos I know learn how to be in solitude with themselves, right. completely isolated from everyone else, mm-hmm. because that's the only way they're so wired towards self forgetting mm-hmm. that yeah. they've got to just learn how to tolerate solitude.
0: Yeah, that is so true. So that's type two. Can you tell us about type three? Yeah, so type three uses the defense mechanism of identification to avoid failure, the thing they have to avoid, and to maintain a self-image of being successful. So identification is interesting. I I call identification um, as mimicking and modeling. So identification causes threes to unconsciously incorporate characteristics of another person or a role into their own personality. It's like taking on the attributes and values of those that they wanna please as their own. So this is this unconsciously patterning themselves after successful people or those that they admire as kind of this way to bolster my self-esteem by forming almost like an imaginary or even real alliance with this person. So identification is really about like successful role playing and then finding successful role models with role being this operative word and then losing myself in the midst of all of that. It's basically kind of stepping into a role so completely that I lose contact with who I am on the inside, this on the scene part of ourselves, that's our true identity, which we've been talking about so much, and instead focusing more on crafting this image, that scene. So because of this sort of losing myself, this is why threes often feel, you know, like everything's on the line with every new project and maybe even have an identity crisis if they lose their job or roles change. And so really what threes are employing is their natural adaptability. You know, threes are those chameleons and they just, they adapt so quickly. And that's what's going on here and using it defensively to mimic and model in order to sort of create a sense of success.
1: Yeah, I've got a ton of three and I used to work in the music industry and I was a booking agent arranging tours for artists and I sought out and eventually worked with almost all of my musical heroes mm-hmm. in various ways. Oh, wow. um, and, and it was just as much uh, exciting for me mm-hmm. because I love their, their art or their music, but it was also very much connected to a sense of identity sure. as well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so that all resonates with me. Okay. That's type three. How about the, the best number on the Enneagram uh, type four? <laughs> definitely the most unique number on the Enneagram.
0: <laughs> so fours use interjection to avoid ordinariness and maintain this self-image of being authentic. All right. So interjection is when we take in other people's feelings and we make them our own. It's this unconscious absorbing and internalizing how other people feel without stopping first to decide what gets to come in or not. So I heard a teacher once talk about this as eating without chewing, just taking in without chewing anything mm. seeing if maybe is there something I might want to spit out. So instead of like repelling critical or negative responses that might cause them anxiety or pain, fours tend to more absorb and internalize them and actually incorporate that into their self. And that's kind of like forming an emotional alliance. And really why they're doing this, you might find this interesting, Jesse. because sometimes people are like, why would anyone do this? Really what fours are doing is they're trying to overcome feelings of deficiency by internalizing the blame for what goes wrong. And they're trying to feel a sense of closeness to the person by bringing them inside of themselves. And they're trying to control this harmful message by doing it to myself. It's like, if I, if someone criticizes me and I take that in and I criticize myself, there's a, there's just a greater sense of a feeling of that. I'm in control of that. So this is a complicated defense mechanism, which is perfect for the four. There can also be positive interjections where like, I'm attempting to overcome feelings of deficiency by taking in really positive feelings from idealized experiences. And so really what this is, is trying to solve everything through unconscious emotional internalizing.
1: Does that resonate with you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. In the cinematic masterpiece known as Eight Mile, starring Eminem, okay, uh, <laughs> he, uh, the whole thing is that all the other during the rap battles, all the other rappers were always tearing him down. And so he eventually realizes, I'm gonna make fun of myself in front of everybody. <laughs> and all the other rappers had nothing to say. He rejected himself before they had the chance to. Wow. And I'm like, that's that's the four, mm-hmm. like, you know, doing their thing. Like, you can't reject me if I don't come to the party in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, our bag is like, we repel positive information, yep. we retain negative information, and all of it is this sense of, you know, we were abandoned mm-hmm. and there must be a reason for that abandonment. I must have been that reason. And so, you know, we hold on to that. Instead of, you know, grieving and moving forward, sure. we just sit in the – it's not even grief. We sort of sit in this low-level fever of just yeah pessimism and darkness.
0: Right, right, because there's actually a fear of not taking it in. What would that mean? What would that look like? Who would I, you know, there's a reliance on what's coming inside to tell me who I am. And then yeah. I'm unconsciously selecting the negative.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's the heart triad. Lead us through the head triad. Uh, we'll start with the type five.
0: So fives use the defense mechanism of isolation to avoid feeling overwhelmed and empty and to maintain the self-image of being knowledgeable. So the five strategy in general is about compartmentalization and keeping things kind of separate. It's like fives mentally deconstruct in order to understand and analyze things. And so this is also kind of reflected in their defense strategy. It's like within themselves, they're compartmentalizing their emotions by retreating up to, to their mind this really helped me with my husband, who's a five, as I was studying um, survival mechanisms and like fight flight. And I started to learn about how, when the limbic center gets triggered. um, And so we're having this emotional fear response. We actually um, move into the, the backside of our brain and our prefrontal cortex, which is all about clear thinking kind of goes offline. And I think this is what fives are not wanting to feel. They do not want mm, to feel yeah. like their clear thinking ever goes offline. And because of strong emotions tend to do that, it's partly why they avoid that. Wow. They don't want their, scr- their thinking ever scrambled because the safe place is I'm always clearly able to see and perceive and understand. And so that's partly why, you know, emotions are overwhelming to fives who aren't used to being with sensation and feelings in real time. They tend to sort of feel it later when they're alone. But fives tend to distance themselves from the pain until they can distance themselves from the people. So it's not that they don't have emotions, but it's just not in real time. It's usually later, and that's why it's compartmentalized. Mm. So isolation is literal because they do separate themselves from others quite frequently. So they can focus entirely on filling up of themselves with more data to reinforce that self-image of being knowledgeable. But unfortunately, being disconnected from myself, my head over here, my heart here, being disconnected from people, it does tend to create that feeling of emptiness. It exacerbates that. I also say if you're a five listening and you've heard people say, boy, the pandemic must have been great for you. Hmm. Uh, I don't know that that's true. It wasn't for my husband because unless you live alone, you can't isolate. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so one of Phil's biggest stressors this year was that he could not get out of the house away from all of us to like a coffee shop or something. So, you know, if you, if this has been a hard year, if he was a five uh, for that reason, understandable. Um, and really what fives are relying on is their strength of self-sufficiency in able to sort of separate themselves from others and be reliant on themselves.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: Okay. So that was type five. Can you take us into type six? So type six uses the defense mechanism of projection. They do this to avoid rejection and to maintain a self-image of being loyal. So if that didn't make sense to you, I'm going to try to explain that. So projection is when we unconsciously attribute to others what we can't really accept in ourselves, both negative and, and positive qualities we do this. So projection, again, is what is happening. We talked about this last time when we have this idealized sense of self and then we have these things that we project out that we, we can't really accept them in ourselves. So I am this, but I am not that. Well, that particular thing that we all do with regard to kind of the self-image is the mechanism that sixes are employing all the time. So what they're doing is they're projecting constantly to create feelings of certainty because certainty is the safe place. So it's sort of like letting my, if I project how I feel If I let my feelings sort of tell my eyes what to see, then I'm sort of seeing what I need to see or what I want to see without really knowing that I'm doing that. So feelings are highly affecting kind of my perception. Um, So, for example, positive feelings can get projected onto a romantic relationship or an external authority figure in order to justify loyalty and assure safety. I can can Mm. see that person as trustworthy and loyal. I can see them the way I, I need and want to see them. And conversely, negative feelings get projected onto people to sort of justify feelings of fear and distrust. So for example, if I'm a six and I see somebody who reminds me of someone I couldn't trust, I actually will start to see that person as untrustworthy. So it's a lot of bias confirmation going on in order to create feelings of certainty, in order to avoid rejecting people that I'm dependent on, in, in order to avoid rejecting people so I don't feel like I'm disloyal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, small infractions get universalized. Right. So if somebody does a small thing that confirms the bias of the six, they'll go, see, this is why I think X, Y, or Z. And -hmm. then it gets exaggerated.
0: Right. Exaggerating. Yeah.
1: So they're prone, similar to ones, they're prone into that black and white sort of all my chips are in, all my chips are out, all my chips are in, Mm -hmm. all my chips are out.
0: Right. For two different reasons, but they do the same thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay, so that's type six. Talk to us about type seven.
0: Type seven, rationalization. So sevens use rationalization to avoid the suffering, their avoidance, and to maintain the self-image of being okay or being positive. For sevens, rationalization is this way of kind of staying up in the head and explaining away or justifying things in order to distance from the painful feelings or to refuse to take responsibility for something, which is also painful. So when we rationalize, we're sort of, explaining our unacceptable thoughts or feelings or behavior to ourselves or others in a way that might kind of obscure obscure our true intentions or um, kind of avoid the effects of our behavior. And so we just don't wanna feel the suffering. So basically rationalization is when a seven's like, here's why this isn't a problem. Hmm. And then they're gonna tell you why it's all fine or or whatever, um, as opposed to sitting with maybe the impact of their behavior on somebody. Or sitting with the impact of um, maybe having the needing to take responsibility for something that they just don't want to do. So everything in this kind of landscape is getting reframed toward the positive to avoid feeling that suffering and maintaining that sense of self of of I'm good. I'm okay, Nothing's wrong here. Um, And sevens are good at this because they're so quick thinking they're so mentally agile they can just sort of they tell stories all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. so this is just sort of a way of like unconsciously coming up with with angles and stories about why everything's fine particularly that thing that i want to do or just it
1: that's good okay let's go to commercial and then when we come back we're going to continue making our way through the psychological defense mechanism so stay with us
0: hey listeners it's anna media editor Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner
2: directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided
0: over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries.
2: I'm Karen Arrow, and I am the director for Maya Collection.
0: Maya Collection serves the refugee community here in Louisville by teaching and utilizing the crafting skills of refugee artisans to make handmade jewelry, crafts, and textiles. The money made from selling the products
2: goes back to the artisans for them to support themselves and their families. What I always stress is we do this for God's glory and we share Jesus. We don't just help them make money and teach them skills. We also share Jesus with them. Karen shared with me how interns support the work of the ministry. We don't have the fundraising really set up yet, so we don't have the funds to hire anyone else. What I love about interns and love thy neighborhood interns is that they have helped us grow our ministry. We were very stagnant when we didn't have a staff person and interns, and now we have both, and our ministry is really taking off, which is amazing.
0: If you're a young adult looking for an internship where social action and Christian community meet, check out our website at lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Again, that's lovethyneighborhood.org.
1: Welcome back to The Unicast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. And we are still here with Lisa Vischer walking through the defense mechanisms for each type. And we have now come to the gut triad. Lisa, kick us off with uh, type eight.
0: Yeah. So type eight uses the defense mechanism of denial. They use that to avoid feeling vulnerable and to maintain that self-image of being strong. So eights are seeking to impact the world while being not impacted themselves that's kind of the whole goal. And so for the type structure, so denial allows eights to unconsciously negate, this is a good trick, just unconsciously negate anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or anxious by just disavowing its existence.
2: Hmm.
0: I heard an eight talk about this, because we have to remember that they're body types, so they're using body energy here. Um, Sometimes denial and suppression with twos, it's like, aren't they the same thing? And they aren't because we talked about how twos have that conversion of emotional energy. This is not a conversion. This is a stamping out. So this eight was talking about denial means to power up the body center and forcefully redirect energy and attention through willfulness and control. And in the process, these vulnerable feelings get diminished and not experienced, which is the point. So when stressed, you know, eights will deny their personal reality sometimes, particularly as it pertains to weaknesses. Um, They might deny your reality. They might deny anything that exists in the world that they don't really want to be affected by. And they will tend to provide a really good logical argument for why something isn't true when they don't want it to be. Hmm. And just as an example, you know, if you've got some brothers wrestling and one kid says, ouch, that hurts. And the eight says, no, it didn't.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, that's sort of an invalidating or a denying of the reality of somebody else's existence. And eights do that to others because they do it to themselves first and foremost. Yeah eights unconsciously kind of rely on denial because they just have this natural strength and gift of being tough and resilient.
1: Yeah.
0: And what about the nine? So nines use the defense mechanism of this funky long word called narcotization.
2: Mm.
0: And nines use narcotization to avoid conflict. That's their avoidance. And that helps them maintain that self-image of being harmonious. So narcotization is unconsciously numbing myself to avoid something that feels too big or too hard or too complex uh, to handle by, and I do this by engaging in like rhythmic, prolonged, mindless activities that require very little of my attention and also provide comfort at the same time. Mm. Narcotization could be using things like food and drink um, or entertainment or just any repetitive pattern, honestly, that can kind of put me to sleep. So narcotization is this way of like, if I'm, if I need to stay peaceful inside and out and I need to avoid conflict, but I'm living in this world, putting yourself in a coma is a great way to stay peaceful. Yeah. So this is just kind of a way of checking out and doing another action than the one that really needs to be done. This is that avoidance. Mm -hmm. And will talk about scrolling on their phones for too long, knitting for hours, net, bingeing Netflix, sleeping. But I think we just really need to be careful of not putting people in a box here because anything, even productive activities, can keep nines narcotized if they become kind of too habitual.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I know some like nine wing eights who are actually workaholics. And the thing they're trying to avoid is that home life where there's a lot of emotional engagement feels overwhelming. Yeah. So they'd rather just work long hours. And so to the outside, they're not lazy. They're no. actually getting it done. but they're actually avoiding the things that are really going to force them to be very alive and awake to life. Right. It's
0: not avoiding doing something. It's that there's something in particular that feels too big or too hard or too demanding or too uncomfortable. Yeah. And whatever activity can sort of help soothe me through that and and provide an alternative alternative sort Mm -hmm. of comforting experience, (laughs) kind of the comfort of avoidance, anything Mm -hmm. can be used for that.
1: Okay, so that's type nine. Talk to us about type one. The best type you meant oh yeah 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 well you are number one <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> number one I like the competition going on. so one okay one's reaction formation they use reaction formation to avoid direct anger and stay in control of their feelings and impulses in order to maintain that sense of self of being good and doing the right things so ones try to eliminate anxiety about their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that they consider unacceptable by responding to it in a manner that's the opposite of their real response. And this is instantaneous, okay? It's like I have a response and I'm instantly doing the opposite. I'm instantly and unconsciously doing the opposite. So that's really what reaction formation means. It means feeling one thing and then immediately doing the opposite. And so here, like an example might be uh, when you're feeling resentful towards somebody, maybe you're acting really nice. Or maybe you're feeling really tired and exhausted and then you just end up doing extra work. You know, ones are sort of notorious for smiling when they feel angry, that's the opposite.
1: I don't know, do you resonate with
0: any of those? Oh, I hate to say,
1: (laughs) yeah, I definitely do. I- She's (laughs) smiling at me right now, I'm kind of (laughs) nervous.
2: Oh, no, I'm not mad. Um, uh, Maybe I am, I'll have to think about it. Um, (laughs) No, I definitely have found myself lately, I always say everything is okay. And it's so immediate that it's not even feel like a lie. But later, later, way later, like when I go home at the end of the day, I might realize, no, I wasn't okay. And actually, that wasn't okay. And I'm actually really, it might not be mad, (laughs) it might be sad or hurt or frustrated. But in the moment, Mm -hmm. all I can do Mm -hmm. is say, oh, it's fine, it's okay. You know, I'm happy, I'm peppy, I'm Mm -hmm. capable. and does that does that help you feel like a good person? Yeah, because I'm I'm not causing any waves, you know.
0: Mm, there's your nine wing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true.
1: Okay, so the defense mechanism, I now get it. I understand its role that it's playing in each of our psychology and our ego, I guess the question is like, that's the bad news. What, what's the good news? Like, what is the opportunity that this presents us? Is there, you know, do you have a tip for us? I do. So
0: what I have is a question that you are going to want to ask yourself a lot. It's just one question. And this is going to just raise your awareness of this mechanism and see if you can sort of relax that defense mechanism of it. You ready? Yeah. Ready. Let's do it. Type one. Ask yourself this, what bad thing am I not letting myself feel or think right now? Mm. Twos, ask yourself, what feelings am I hiding from myself right now? Threes, who am I trying to be like right now? Fours, what have I taken in that is making me sick or doesn't belong? Fives, how am I cutting myself off right now? Mm. Six is, ask yourself, how am I seeing what I want or need to see right now? Sevens, what am I trying to not feel or take responsibility for right now? Hmm. Eights, what am I denying the existence of right now? Nine, how am I numbing myself through comforting routine right now?
2: Hmm. I think one of the most powerful aspects of the Enneagram for me as, as a one, and I think for all the numbers, is that sometimes it tells you something about yourself you don't understand, but then you walk yeah. away and you're like, oh, there it is. And like, that's how this is the defense mechanisms. Like, at first, when you hear it, you might think, I don't do that or I don't see that, but <laughs> it opens your mind to consider it. And then the next time it happens, you're like,
1: oh, yeah, was that mm-hmm. that? You can spot it in real time. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then once you're spotting it, then that's when you can really change. Yeah because you start to catch it. But we
0: can't change what we don't say. That's right. You can ask yourself those questions on a regular basis. You will start to be able to catch yourself in the act of running this defense, and that creates the opportunity that we were just talking about, where I can invite Jesus into that moment, because if it's a moment of defense, it's a moment of suffering, and it's a moment of need. And now I can catch myself in it and pause, and I can invite Jesus to meet that need, and we might be able to make some different choices. Yeah.
1: Mm, that's good. That's good. I'm even thinking about some of those questions. I'm like, man, not just the core type. Like there's a couple others in there that are kind of oh, no, kind of hitting home. I'm
0: actually looking at them all going. I need to ask all of these right. yeah. questions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay. So, we have spent a lot of time in the last couple of episodes going through some really dense, kind of yeah. heavy stuff. <laughs> I think we have earned ourselves the opportunity to act like idiots for a few yeah. minutes. So when we come back, we're going to be playing Your Worst Nightmare with Lisa Vischer. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that, with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, Grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays. And all proceeds go directly to support Love That Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. And get ready to say more. Because better relationships are just a question away. Hey, welcome back to the India cast Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Your Worst Nightmare. Okay, so Your Worst Nightmare is a real game. You can find it on Amazon or head over to Pressmantoy.com. Okay, so Lisa, here's how the game works. Each round there are four cards. I'm going to read to you what is on the cards and then you're gonna rank those four things by how afraid of them you are. Okay. Number one being the thing you are most afraid of, okay. down to number four being the thing you are least afraid of. You're okay. gonna write your answers down. At the same time, Lindsay is also going to rank the order in which she believes uh-huh. you are afraid of those things. Uh-huh. For everyone that Lindsay gets right, meaning that she ranked it correctly, she gets a point. If she gets all four correct, she gets five points. We're gonna play three rounds at the end of the game. If Lindsay has nine points or more, then she wins. But if she has less than nine points, you win, Lisa. Are you all both ready?
0: I just, can I buy some points first? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Yes, I'm ready.
1: Here we go. Here are your four things. Okay. Drinking out of other people's glasses. Okay. Falling, being late, and haunted houses. Okay, I'm good. Okay, Lisa, what are you most afraid of?
0: I am most afraid of haunted houses. Oh, no, I didn't get
1: that. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. Really? I have questions. Oh, you I have so any many of my family members? Now, do you ever like drive down the street, like in the countryside, and there's like an abandoned house, you're like, like a yeah, barn. That's, <laughs> that's haunted. Oh, for sure. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm not going anywhere <laughs> near that. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, number two, what are you second most afraid of? Falling. Yes. Got that one. Number three. Late. Okay. Number four.
0: Drinking other oh, people's Yay. glasses. Totally fine. Do it all the time.
1: It's strangers. She'll drink out of strangers' glasses. <laughs> oh, totally. You got to yeah. watch out. Not scared in the slightest. No, no. So, how many points did you get, Lindsay? Two. Two points. I okay. got falling and drinking. Well, you do a lot of falling if you drink. That, that, so, that's true. So <laughs> right. It's kind of.
0: Maybe that needs to be my core avoidance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. Second round. The four items are chickens, being stranded in the desert, getting old, and the unknown. Chickens, (laughs) being stranded in the desert, getting old, and the unknown. I need to know more about the chickens. (laughs)
0: Hmm.
1: All right. Okay. Lisa, what are you most afraid of?
0: Getting old.
1: Oh, getting old. man. For what it's worth, that would have been mine. Really?
0: Right. Can I just tell you that I could not highlight my hair through the, most of the pandemic, and you cannot believe the amount of gray hair that I have. I know you didn't know me before, but I'm just telling you that's partly why I picked it, because I'm panicking. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, so number one, getting old. What's number two? Uh, stuck in the Desert. Stuck in the desert. And that is
2: number one.
1: Yeah, that is number one. Yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, uh, number three. The unknown. The unknown.
0: And that is number two. Really, I'm winning. Yeah.
1: And finally, number four.
0: Listen, chickens are fine. Yay! I got one point. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm an animal person.
2: I don't think it's possible for me to get nine in general in three rounds.
0: Oh, but we got to do it so I can really stick it to you. <laughs>
1: She's Lisa's just destroying you. That's all that's happening. <laughs> all right, round three. Here we go. Four things: potluck dinners, <laughs> performing in public, big cities, and dark alleys. Mm. Potluck dinners, performing in public, big cities, and dark alleys.
0: I'm learning so much about myself.
1: All right, Lisa. Ready when you are. Okay. All right, what are you most afraid of?
0: Uh, for real, I am terrified of potluck dinners. <laughs> no, <Whoa. laughs> I had that as number four. Like
1: during COVID or even before? No, just
0: I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but this is fear. Yeah, I fear them. Yeah, I do. Wow.
1: I, 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 I want you to like lay down on the sofa and talk about that for a <laughs> while. Like,
0: I'm that's... sure it has roots in my childhood. Yeah. Well, I'm not I'm more introverted. And I for real don't have time to go to potluck dinner. Um, and the food <laughs> is not going to work for me.
1: Um, and the conversation
0: will not be deep and intimate. So <laughs> <laughs> I
1: am I'm surprised. I didn't see that one. coming. I didn't either. That's great. Okay. What's your next one?
0: Dark alleys. Yeah, Dark I
1: had that as number one. Yeah, Dark Alley, that's some origin story stuff. You yeah. get on a Dark Alley, something terrible is going to yeah. happen, and your life's about to change. Okay, number three.
2: Big cities. Yep, I had that as number two. See, I was in the right order just without potluck.
1: Potluck <laughs> threw you off, it man. It just threw the whole thing. Yeah, who saw that coming? Yeah, I'm
2: definitely not per- performing in public's totally fine. I've been doing it all my life. Yeah, I was like, she's a three. That's going to be. Did you get that one? No, I had it as number three.
1: Um... I had potluck as
2: number four. I only have 3 points. Oh my goodness.
1: So, Lindsay Lewis, you have officially been destroyed I by have. Lisa Fisher. I have
2: been Woo! destroyed.
1: Yeah. All right, and now it's time for listener questions. So, this question comes from E-Ranger 4. How can you help an eight to see when they are defending by denying?
0: I like to lead with questions. As I'm listening to that question, I'm hearing, how do you force an eight to do what you want them to do? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which isn't going to happen. And so I think probing questions, and particularly ones that sort of put to test the assumption they're making of something sort of not being valid or real, you know, a question you can say is, well, what what if it is? And see how they respond to that. And then the other thing is it kind of depends on if the thing that they're denying is in themselves or in other people, because then you have a boundary autonomy issue. If it's in themselves, I think giving feedback about what you see as reality, certainly not as a prescription, but just as a, this is my observation. But if they're denying somebody else's reality or something with, you know, outside of reality, I just was talking to an eight not long ago, a good friend of mine, and we were sort of having a similar conversation and another friend of mine was pressing on this person to um, the person couldn't say, that's true. This thing you just brought to me as true. I can't tell that person, yes, that's true, because I personally don't believe it's true. And so the question was, could you say, I believe it's true for you?
1: Mm-hmm. I-, I like the language, too, of um, saying can I talk to you about what I, how I'm experiencing you?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because
1: then it's like, I'm not coming at you. It's just, can I talk to you about how I'm experiencing you? Which means you may not be universally like this, mm-hmm. but you are being perceived in a certain way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've also found in some cases, when it gets extreme enough, that there are times where literally facts need to be written down and slid across the table to the eight. Wow, well, that's good. Where it's like, let's just talk about these facts. Because right. th- it really disrupts the denial thing pretty aggressively. And then I can say, talk to me about what you see on the paper. How do you interpret what you're looking at? And how do we make sense of that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That feedback is, is one of the few ways. Yeah. They just need to get some information in front of them, be able to respond.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. This question is from Biddy Abby.
2: Can you take on and use the defenses of other types in certain situations? Or will your defense strategy always be only your types?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. So like I said, you know, we use multiple defense mechanisms. So we all do projection and we all do identification we all do these things so we can utilize other types defenses, but we will never do them for any other reason than our core agenda. So if I'm borrowing something from another type, it's always for the core to maintain my personal sense of self or to avoid the thing I need to avoid or to defend the actions that I want to take. Um, so the sense of self is never going to change and the avoidance is never going to change, but we might borrow different defensive behaviors.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. hmm. Well, Lisa, this has been fun. It's been awesome. I feel like we could just talk forever. There's like so many aspects and (laughs) angles, you know, to this. And so we're going to have to find an excuse to have you back again in the future.
0: That would be so fun. I'd love to.
1: If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Lisa Vischer. You can check out her Enneagram trainings and workshops by going to lisavischer.com.
2: This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships, Supported by a Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn
1: more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Our media director and producer is Rachel Zabo. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.